0: queen are you ready to conquer the world while conquering people's hearts to touch the soul of everyone that comes into touch with you and leave them at least one percent better to step into your highest most extraordinary version through learning about the things that truly matter when leading your empire then i warmly welcome you to the queen of hearts podcast my name is yasmin call me yoyb and i develop the human behind the label ceo So without further ado, have a seat on your throne. Let's dive into today's juice and make you a Queen of Hearts. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to another amazing episode in the Queen of Hearts podcast. In front of me, I have the amazing Carrie in this beautiful blouse top I don't know what you're wearing but it's so I love how it looks and I love how you're glowing in it and it's just so beautiful to look at you so welcome Carrie to this podcast Carrie is a library of genius to put it like that she has so much experience I think it's over 20 year experience as a licensed therapist She is trained in rapid transformational therapy. She is a holistic health coach and certified nutrition coach. And there's probably way more to uncover when you get to know Carrie. So if there's anything else you would like to add about yourself, Carrie, I would love to hand you the mic and just open the stage for you today.
1: Wow. Thank you, Jasmine, for that grand opening. I appreciate that. So I, um, so yes, I've been practicing psychotherapy for over two decades. And I, in the last two and a half years, really started pivoting online so that I could expand my reach with the kinds of people I want to work with. And also, get more flexible in my approach because talk therapy is just that really it's talk therapy. And that's what I've spent my career doing. And so I really wanted to get more holistic and be able to add in more, more methodologies with my client. So here I am. And my, my focus really in my online practice is um, with entrepreneurs. I really mentor entrepreneurs. So really helping them bust through sort of next level revenue. People get stuck by limiting beliefs and mental blocks. And that's really my area of expertise. So, uh, and it's, just fascinates me just being, being with other people and what's going on in their minds. That's so, so cool. Thank you so much for sharing and adding that in your Instagram bio.
0: It says personal psychology begins where this strategy ends. And I would love to hear in more words. What do you exactly mean by that? How that, how does that look? How does that apply to the work that you do?
1: Mm -hmm. So I, what's really interesting is when I started my private therapy practice, just part of being a therapist, I was always doing my own personal work. I was doing my own therapy. And I did very little strategy because. 24 years ago, there really business coaching was not a thing, and so when I started a brick and mortar practice, so I was really creating the business strategy roadmap as I was going. I mean, I did a few things, but really what I was doing was I was just putting myself out there and making connections with people. And I was I was doing, I guess you know what what would be known today as uh, like sort of relationship. I'm trying to think of the name relationship marketing. Uh, I can't think of the the name right now, but I was really just building connections with people. And, but, but what I was doing behind the scenes was working on myself and my limiting beliefs because I really wanted to have a private practice that was no insurance, that was really um, all private pay. And sort of, I wanted to just be as um, independent as I could as a private practitioner doing therapy. So I really did that by working on myself and expanding my own. Limits, my own upper limits, like really working on limiting beliefs and mental blocks. And I don't come from a family of entrepreneurs. So again, I was creating the roadmap as I was driving. So what I've really brought to my work specifically online is working with people On once they've got the strategy down, because I do think that, you know, we need a you do need a roadmap. I mean, it's very helpful actually to have a roadmap of knowing where to go, then once they have the strategy down, that there is another really critical element there, and that's one's personal psychology. And personal psychology is going to determine how we execute on a business model or on a business strategy or a tactic. And so, because we don't use strategies and tactics in a vacuum, I mean, they are part of a greater context. And for me, that greater context is who we are on the inside. And so that's my, that's sort of my philosophy around that.
0: It's so, so cool and so, so
1: interesting.
0: I remember saying to my clients that for me personally, business strategy is like the, 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 how do you call that? The pralines with the fillings. Oh, uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> the strategy is like the, the, the thing that the praline and the filling is, your personal flavor and how you add to it, would you say it's the same with personal psychology and business strategies?
1: So that is really interesting. So I like that because the praline is the shell. So, so it sort of provides the container from which we're going to operate in. And it gives us like the, the boundaries there. Right. And then the personal psychology would be sort of like, let's see your own flavor. So I would say yes. And beyond that, I would say, in addition. It is also the piece where um, how like what we bring to the table from our own personality style, like our own strengths, our limitations and where we see ourselves holding us back. So I would say beyond the flavor, I do think that that's a critical piece, but we can change the flavor. Um, We could change the flavor. Right. So we could put any kind of filling in there that we want. So I think an extension of that really around personal psychology has to do with really removing a lot of those, um, just those upper limits, those barriers that are self-imposed based on who we are, what our life experiences are, and what we bring to the table. And so I think it it adds even another layer of dimension to that. Yeah. Thank you so much for elaborating that. God, these English vocabulary, (laughs)
0: I'm still (laughs) getting used to it. Um, what would you say you were talking a lot about upper limits on here already? And also I know on your social media, what are in your experience, very, very common self-imposed upper limits.
1: Uh, definitely. Like, I mean, top, top of the list I would say is, is, uh, revenue income, how much someone can see themselves making. And I remember when I first started my private practice, um, and I was making 60 or 80,000 a year in my first couple of years, which was a lot, I never ever could imagine that it would increase by three or four times that. Like it was like, it was never a thought for me. So so I would say that's an example of an upper limit. And, and it wasn't a, con- upper limits are not necessarily consciously imposed they're part of just uh they're part of the blueprint that we bring to the table and we don't really know what a, what what our limits are until we start bumping up against them right and that's really with anything so when we're growing our business and we're not thinking and dreaming big because who knows to think and dream big and frankly i didn't know anyone who was making hundreds of thousands of dollars doing therapy i i worked in agencies and so i i didn't really know that it was even possible as a private therapy person. And a lot of therapists work, um they take insurance and they keep their practices small. But I had just, I had this innate sort of expansive part of me. So I would say that there was, there was a, there was a good internal conflict in there because I had an innate internal expansive part of me, but I had another part of me that couldn't think what was possible because I'd not seen it yet. And I think that that's important. And so now, now that I've you know I'm sort of twenty years past that, as I'm expanding my online business, I have a lot more vision for what's possible, and I could spot those upper limits. So the first upper limit I would say, uh, long answer to your uh, question is people putting revenue ceilings on themselves, like you know I'm just good with you know just hitting six figures or just you know two hundred k or what have you. So that's a big one. And another big one I would say is Along those lines is what happens for people is that when they have that and they sort of hit that and then as soon as they start going above that, something will happen and it'll intervene and it'll sort of bump them back down. And I I talk to a lot of coaches and I read a lot on in Facebook groups of people who, you know, they'll hit six figures in a year or two and then they can't, you know, I put this in quotes, they can't hold it. Um, and then they sort of lose it. And so they're, they're back down to, you know, square one again. So I think that's the biggest upper limit for people. There's a lot, but that's the most evident. And I think as entrepreneurs, we have to really, at the very least, start working on our money blocks. And we all have them, really. I mean, it's just sort of, you know, universal. Yeah. Thank you so much for
0: sharing this and explaining all of that. And how would you say, are you working with people on a really breaking through these upper limits. Also the scenario that you just talked about, the hey, I'm hitting good money in my business, but then at some point it crumbles, I fall back, or I crawl back even or whatever, I can't hold it. Like what's what what does the work look like? What does the process look like to also build a person quote unquote back
1: up from within so they can yeah. hold that? Yeah, that is such a good question. Um so couple of things and I would say it's multi-layered so if we if we start at the top which is why we're always like to start with people is sort of like thinking about okay so what is the what are sort of the the behaviors that are and for me that's the surface it's like what does this look like in reality what are you doing what are the behaviors and then once I have a sense of what the behaviors are and let's say they um they, and they may not identify it as a, a blocking behavior, but say they, they start um, not taking certain clients that they feel like, oh, I'm not qualified to work with this client, or I want to do a podcast tour, and then I find reasons to not show up on podcasts. So there's certain behavior, blocking behaviors, right? So we start at the behavior, and then I go down the next layer, and then I really start to think about, okay, so what are the thoughts, you know, what are the thoughts sort of fueling that behavior? And... Sometimes, so and here's where for me, here's where mindset work stops. I'll sort of loop that in. It really stops the thoughts. It's the thoughts and the actions, really. The mindset work, okay, So our mindset itself is coming from um our beliefs and our inner programming, like the mental blueprint. And that mental blueprint can be changed. and when it gets changed, then we have a different mindset or perspective. but but we, for me, When people are unable to change their perspective or mindset just by changing their language or their thoughts or their actions, that's where I really come in and go deeper. And what I really start to think about, and here's the sort of the beauty where I feel like psychology and spirituality start to intersect. And this is a piece for me that it's just not, there's not really a place for it in traditional psychotherapy. But here's where they start to intersect is where we start to really look at like, what are our what are the concepts we have of ourselves? What, what are our self-concepts? In psychology, that might be our um, personality traits. And in spirituality, we think about it as a self-concept. And when we start to really uncover and get to the core of the self-concept, that is ultimately what drives what how we're going to be in this world and, and how our being is going to, what it's going to manifest into. And so for me in psychology, when I use the word manifesting, it's like How does that belief of yours manifest in reality? And then when we cross over to spirituality, it's like, wow, if I actually start to change my concepts of myself and who I am on the inside, something different will manifest. And right there for me is the beauty of like manifesting from a deeper place and not a surface place. So I take it layer by layer and I really go down to the core with people and I use variety of methodologies that i have just utilized over my career and in the last year i trained as you described in my intro in rapid transformational therapy which is very targeted and i use that specifically when i find that there's gridlock for somebody so we can't get to something there's like a mental block and it's like like we've tried multiple entry points and i'm like you know let's just let's just target it and so we will target a very specific thought belief idea self concept and what we do is we connect the dots by really going to the source of it and within rapid transformational therapy we are uh going we're regressing back it's it's not hypnotherapy it's not it's not sort of what people think is like hypnosis people get a little freaked out when they think hypnosis i would say this is really more of a deep meditative state and you can access this in a deep meditation if you uh if you're an experienced meditator Um, And so, but it's good to have a facilitator. So we, we go back, we get to the source of it, we um, connect the dots from the past to the present. And then we remove the block at the source, and then we replace it with a new narrative. So for me, the bottom line of that, whether I'm doing sort of reprogramming of somebody's mind or repatterning of their nervous system, the baseline of what we're really trying to get to is so that we can respond from the here and now, as opposed to from the then and there. And that really is key because then we're really in the driver's seat. Sounds so, so powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you you were just explaining this
0: process and talking about then going back, regressing, connecting the dots, and then also replacing the narrative from back then, do you have an example for us and also for listeners who never heard about RRT? Yes, you-
1: yes. Yeah. Okay, so I'm gonna give you a good example of um imposter mm-hmm. because that's a really big one. So what happens for people, they'll they'll start with um And when I think of imposter, I think of it as a phenomenology as opposed to a syndrome. I'm not really sure how and why it got coined the term as a syndrome, but it's not really a syndrome. It's really a phenomenon that we all experience to varying degrees at different stages of growth. But if our imposter part is uh, taking over, it's going to dictate then what we're willing to do and not do. And one way that that shows up a lot for people online Is in uh, visibility blocks and so people they have a really hard time showing up and speaking really freely either on stories or on lives or like this on podcasts and so what's really interesting will happen is that when, and I actually did this one um, I so I do RTT in a group and I also do it individually. And obviously when it's individually, it's tailored very specifically to what that person is working on. And when it's in a group, I pick the topic and those who want to join will join and they hold in mind their very specific block. So with imposter, I had someone who... um, what they were really struggling with was showing up online and having, um, they they really just, it felt very clunky. It felt very, um, they would feel like uh, they didn't really have anything to offer. They couldn't, they didn't really have anything valuable to say. And so it was really inhibiting them from showing up online. And if you're, you know, a, a digital creator, then, I mean, that's really kind of how we do business, right? So um, in this work, we went back to, she went back to things like, um being told, um, being compared to her sibling, who was actually apparently, according to her memory, smarter than she was, more ambitious than she was, um, also being compared to her sibling in a way that um, they, were um, the parents would talk to the sibling about certain things that um, they would not talk to her about sort of elevated intellectually stimulating topics and what happened over time the cumulative effect of that is that the message that this woman internalized was that like I'm just not as good as my brother or as anyone else because if my parents aren't talking to me about those topics why is that so what happens is as we fill in our mind fills in the gaps and so when we don't have an answer to something our mind naturally fills in the gaps and you know when you're five six seven eight years old you you can't really use a greater context yet because our world is so small so we fill in the gaps so during uh during an rtt session uh it's very somatic experience for people so they really do feel it in their body and for this person and this is actually really common um, where she, A lot of people feel it in their gut, which is really common, right? We're all sort of, we feel butterflies and anxiety comes in our gut. But so much for visibility blocks and imposter, when we're having to speak our truth, uh, they feel it in their throat. And so their throat starts to feel like it's constricting and they get a sore throat and they can't speak. And so it sits there and it sits in their throat, somatically speaking. And the way that manifests in reality, so here we could think about like, like not a good manifestation, right? We manifest in reality that I just can't speak my truth. So I can't go online and I can't say what I'm going to say because um, because then people will really know how I think and feel about myself. So once we once we got back to that and she understood that, and most people go back to memories that they either forgot about or they had no idea were even relevant to what they were working on, which is really the power of the subconscious mind, is that we can't We can't speak to our conscious mind about these things because they're deeply embedded. And and it could be what just felt like a fleeting memory when we look back, but that the the message that we internalized about it actually shaped who we became and how we um, conduct ourselves or function in life, in relationships and relationship to business. And so really, so what happened for her and one session, I mean, for RTT is pretty quick so for some people it's one session for a few people you do one session and then it brings something else and then it's a couple of other sessions but for this person actually it really cleared that block and they were able to start you know doing their stories and you know there's of course discomfort when you're doing something new i'm not saying it's a miracle but it's certainly like removed that block then what we have to start doing is we have to then create opportunities to Uh, you know, aligned action, right? So then we have to create opportunities to start to do that thing that we were once blocked. So it doesn't just magically happen. We have to then put ourselves in that active position. So yeah, it's very powerful work.
0: Yeah, thank you so, so, so much for sharing that. So in-depth and so detailed. I took so much away from that. And it's very, it sounds very similar to tools and modalities I have learned throughout my coaching coaching career to say okay. it like that um and i love when it's a full body experience for clients as well where you go deeper than the mental approach only i feel like you can already do a lot with the mental approach um but as you said at some point when you can't really memorize something or can't really like connect the dots mentally it's also helpful to really tune into yourself and do something that is body related as well so i love that you shared all of that you also said in your amazing pitch sheet that i found, found you through that as a therapist with over 20 years of experience you don't always
1: recommend therapy why would you say is that yeah so what's what um so that's a little um it's a little bit of a polarizing topic i would say in the therapy world in the coaching world people are like oh i could totally see that in the therapy world therapists really think that therapy it's it sort of starts and ends with therapy and i used to think that too um but my experience and i've had lots of therapy and 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 in my opinion really good dedicated therapists do their own therapy you know we need to keep our pipes clean so that we make sure when we're working with a client we're not spilling our stuff over into their stuff. And then they start to think it's their stuff unconsciously because they, it's, it's in their purview. So they don't know. So for me, I did a lot of my own personal work and I started to really hit a wall in my work. And the more, the more I got online and spoke with other therapists who uh, felt the same because they were also expanding out of traditional therapy, it was like, wow, there's a whole collective of us actually who can feel this and see this. But when you're in it, you can't see anything other than what you're in. So for me, I hit a wall in my own personal work. And um, I just couldn't go any further. Some might say that's resistance. Some might say that's my own defenses. But call it whatever we want. I just couldn't go any further. And I was doing it. I was, I'd had multiple therapists and I I did therapy for the, the, pretty much the duration of my career. So what happened for me was when I started, so after COVID happened and I started, that was really when I started thinking about what else can I do and how can I sort of restructure my business model to create more freedom in my life. I have a daughter, my husband is nine years older than me. And I was starting to really think ahead, like, what do I want life to look like? And for me, having a full caseload of one on one therapy clients was not it it just it was not going to be sustainable for me. I love therapy clients. I love working in therapy, but it was too much. So I started to really as I was so as I was restructuring my business model. Um, Of course, we can't make shifts in our business without making shifts in ourselves. So those two are, they've always been intertwined for me, you know, based on the work I do, but they really became very interconnected. And so I started thinking about what do I need also? And here's where I started to really start to think about my own more holistic being, my physical health, my spiritual health. Um, I had been working on my mental health all along, but I started to really make a shift and thinking about, um, the connection between the foods I eat and mental health, I'm really very intrigued by what's the field of nutritional psychiatry, um, and which is why I went and sort of did some gut health training and health coach training. So unless you are working with a therapist who is doing more than traditional talk therapy, which I was not. I mean, I was trained in psychoanalytic psychotherapy. Now, I'm not sure if you know much about that um but it's actually pretty common in europe um so a lot of the people i studied were um like like freud you know german austrian um and english and you know from the uk and so british and so um we studied a lot of theorists who were sort of the fathers founding fathers but it's a very um it's a very I say this with full respect. It's a very rigid way of working. It's a very rigid model. There's there's flex some flexibility, but it's pretty rigid. And so you're not really dropping into the somatic piece. So for me, what I knew, I'm a, I have a tendency of using intellectualization. Like that's kind of my major defense mechanism. So you know, some people use denial. Some people like split. My big one is intellectualization. So I can talk my way in and out of anything. And, um, and that's a block, that's a real mental block. So what I came to realize was that I needed to be able to drop into my body. So, so now I'm on a, I'm really exploring spirituality, and I'm working with a spiritual teacher in a spiritual class. And she's a really just amazing Indian woman who's just, she's just been doing this for 25 years. And, so so where I feel like the limitations of psycho talk, psychotherapy are is when we start to enter, cross over into the realm realm of wholeness and spiritual health. And there is someone that I um, there's a, a psychotherapist who I've always really admired, although I didn't study him as part of my work. And his name is Mark Epstein, and he's a practicing Buddhist and he's also a psychoanalyst and um, I think a psychiatrist. And his, one of his books is called Going to Pieces Without Falling Apart, which was a, a book that I picked up during a transformational time in my life about 25 years ago. He just came out with another book, <clears throat> which I would say is pretty controversial in the, in the therapy world, where he really brings in Zen Buddhism with psychotherapy, which I just love. So it's a really it's like a new frontier really where you're starting to create this intersection so again really long answer to your question but for me where i see the limitations are is when we're talking about really dropping into our body getting in touch with our spiritual self our somatic self that talk therapy is limited i think it's an important foundation but i i think that there's there's a lot more beyond that and mm-hmm. for me when i started exploring beyond that i just started growing like leaps and bounds, like, wow, if I just look at my version of myself two years ago, it's like, wow, like my internal self is just completely restructured. So interesting. I could listen
0: for a few more hours. So please don't (laughs) mind giving long answers to my questions. I just love to listen to experts riffing on their topics like it's just so like I, i'm sitting here the listeners can see me but i'm always sitting here like with puppy eyes and i'm like just admiring my interview partners when they are when they are riffing about the things that i'm asking them so that's so beautiful you were talking about defense mechanisms which is a very interesting topic for me and for the listeners as well i think um you called yours was it into like intellectualization yeah i can very much relate to that i myself am like i i always say i could have become a lawyer because my argumentation is so strong like we can literally (laughs) go back and forth for hours um would you say on the other hand that quote-unquote dropping into your body quote-unquote too much can also be a defense
1: mechanism Sure, sure, yeah. So um well first off I appreciate your um your generosity with my long answers. So thank you. I just want to be mindful of um of of not not going on too long for people. So thank you for that. Okay, so dropping into your body too much. Okay, so you know, I think that there's a balance between and and it's a subjective balance. So so it's going to be very individual. I think there's a balance between um, connecting your what's going on in your mind with connecting what's going on in your body. and And in my perspective, too much of anything is usually not a great balance for us. So too much hedonistic pleasure is not good. Not enough hedonistic pleasure. Like we need to have enough of... Um, all of the ingredients to create whatever the whole experience is. So I would agree. So for those who are uh, just very body oriented and only going on what they feel, maybe that might we might think about that as intuition. Um, only going on what they feel, I would say there. And again, case by case. But what what we might think about would be like, oh, that's interesting. Do they? like are they resistant to thinking like do they not want to like think about that thing so they might just just feel their way through it because really thoughts like can be really scary and in my therapy experience with people like when people come and they have to talk I mean so we're using that modality and I really like there is a learning curve for people when I have to really share with them like look think of this space as like a playground for your mind like No thought is off limits and no thought equates reality. Okay. Even though there's a whole nother realm of like what you think you are. And, you know, so it's, it's sort of a different way of thinking about it because we don't want to suppress thoughts that are actually there because if we suppress them, then they get trapped in our body. So I do think that, um, not having a good balance and only wanting to pay attention to what's going on in our body and not allowing ourselves to think thoughts and be in our mind Yes can be a defense against thinking can be.
0: Yeah. Just so. like
1: being in our head would be a defense against feeling. Totally totally.
0: I love the sentence of no thought equates reality. I feel like that that should be put on a quote card so <laughs> please please do a post on that or even like a desk calendar with Thank your you. desk or something <laughs> like that. Um I love it and I I I love what we're coming to right now because i also experience clients who are who aren't feeling safe when it comes to the rational and mental realm and you can really observe them trying to flee out of quote-unquote needing to be rational in certain moments because it can actually be helpful right i always say you you didn't you, you weren't like gifted with your rational mind to then never use it, right? You have to learn to use it in the quote-unquote aligned situations and moments. So how would you say, or what would you say is important when leading someone who feels and finds very much comfort in their intuitive self into
1: feeling more safe in their rational self then? Yeah, so I... um. Put a post up about this today, but it was related to nervous system um, regulation practice. And what I was speaking about was this idea of interoception, which is um, developing an awareness about the sensations that are happening in our body. So so there's, there's two elements to that, though. There's tapping into what the sensations are in our body, the anxiousness, the worry, uh, the stress, the butterflies, tapping into that and then having a mindful awareness which then actually that links us back up to our mind right so so and and what i'm speaking about the the what's really important in that piece is that when we make a decision purely from a body based place we're missing out on the structure of being able to use the power of our mind like our mind is so powerful There is so much we can create with our mind if we can truly believe and become the things that we think in our mind. And I don't mean that in a lofty, superficial way. I mean that when we connect our mind to our body and it's all lined up kind of way. So when we only use our body, we are missing out on the power of our psyche, of our psychology. And when we use our mind only, we're missing out on the power of really being able to tap into like the, the becoming on a felt level. So I think that to, to me, it's I've never been. So I should be mindful of my language, too. Right. I am not someone yet who's who's been to only be able to tap into my intuition. That is part of the work that I've been working on in the last two to three years because I've made most of my decisions from an intellectual place. It's all been what makes sense. And um, and now I'm really, and that's an incomplete experience because a complete experience is thought plus feeling plus felt experience and that's a complete experience. So I think that those who are purely working on intuition are missing out on a whole piece and they might not even know what they're missing yet. Right. If they haven't had that. Um, and sometimes people drop into intuition only because the thoughts feel scary. So I would say to people like that, that, that just really sort of test the waters on what might be possible. And then you start to learn what you don't know. You get exposed to what you didn't know before. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, to go back
0: one, Subtopic, I'd say you were also talking about the balance and how you have to identify your personal sweet spot, your personal enough, so to say. What would you say helps when doing that? Because find balance and find your enough. I know it's easy to say from a rational standpoint again, or from a mental one again, but how does it then really look like and feel like in an experienced reality, if that makes sense?
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. So I feel like a controversy exists, a fun controversy exists, but around whether balance is really a thing. And from my perspective, it is actually a thing, but balance is subjective, which is what I said earlier. So it's very personal and it's, it's, it's what creates balance for me. I look at everything on a continuum. And so regardless of the kind of client I'm working with, we're never thinking in like categories. It's either this or that we're always looking at things on a continuum. And I always use the analogy of a pie graph. And so, so we get one pie, that's our life. It's one pie. And there could be eight equal slices. There could be 16 equal slices. There could be, you know, four big ones and, you know, eight tiny, whatever, however we divide that pie, that is our balance. And it gets recalibrated at every new stage of life. Right. So, so when we uh, sort of, launch into our career, there's a recalibration of that balance. And when we, we get a life mate or have a family or we're in, I would even say through business, right? So, so when we're in creator mode, like right now you're in creator mode, you've recalibrated your balance. So you're spending less time in certain areas and more time in other areas. And that's what I do. So there are some mornings when I get up and I'm, I'm working on, you know, the edits from my va for my landing page for a program I have coming out rather than having a nice easy flowy morning because it's just sort of what's required okay so how do we know then if we have a balance now I think that that we start to know by um, getting out of balance first so we first start to know it's the same way we learn about our blind spots and it's the same way we learn about our limiting beliefs and our mental blocks is when we bump up against them and something doesn't feel good So when something doesn't feel good or we start to have negative thoughts or we start to feel stuck, something like we can't move, something's not working. To me, those are all uh, little flags that there's something underneath going on. And it's how I talk to people about anxiety. It's like when you start to feel anxious, just use that as a sign that there's something underneath that that needs to be explored. Like there's no need to be scared of it. It's just a little, it's like part of yourself is just re- waving this flag, like, hey, look over here, there's something going on. So I think about balance in the same way that once we start to feel that we're off, so we have to start tracking it, really. So if we're just talking about balance, although so this, this applies to all those items I just mentioned, if we're just talking about balance, um, we're first going to figure it out by being off. And that might be we have start to like feel like we're on the cusp of burning out. And, and so then we're going to start to track that. And it does take an intentionality and an awareness around it. And so once we start to track it and we begin to create some um, kind of some blueprint around like, okay, what does this look for me? Where are my traps? Where do I usually start to like go over my own limits and I feel like I'm out of balance, I'm out of whack, then we can actually start to become a little bit more proactive that when we know something is happening, we could start to sprinkle in more. So let's say I'm in a season where I'm like creating and I'm up at five and I'm working and I don't work past six because my my intellectual brain does not work past, like it just, I can't really function. I've learned it's not my best work, although I I used to push past it. So once we sort of figure out what those bounds are, then we could start to sprinkle in the things that we know for us create balance, whatever that is. Is it play? Is it like going out to dinner? Is it going swimming in my pool? Whatever it is. And so it does really require, I would say the two ingredients really most importantly are having an awareness or a mindfulness, but also an intentionality about it.
0: Yeah. Beautiful.
1: And would you say, is that also the way
0: how you identify whether you're facing an upper limit or something that's actually not healthy for you?
1: Certainly. Mm -hmm. Yes. And upper limits are, I mean, they manifest in all sorts of ways in our, in our relationships, like picking a fight with our partner, that, that could be an upper limit. Now we have to think about what the, what the motivation behind it is. So when we're always thinking about these sorts of things, we're thinking about the motivation behind it. And so, uh, so if it's, if I really take a step back and think about it, it's like, wow, that's interesting. Why did I pick a fight with him? It's like, oh, you know what? I was feeling too threatened by the intimacy or the closeness or same goes in our business, right? It's like people do this all the time. And, and it it's, I think most of us know this, but it's hard to relate to unless you felt it, where there's a fear of success. People have a fear of like being too successful, being too big. It comes with lots of responsibility. So they will throw upper limits, but not call it that. Um, and so we do have to take a step back and say, wow, that's really interesting. In the last week, I, um, I declined three potential interview slash collaboration slash what, you know, opportunities, And, and so, yes, I'm, I'm not ever big on like one-off events, but when we start to get a collection there of, we've got like two or three, it's like, Hmm, that's really interesting. But again, we have to have a mindfulness about that in order to be able to pay attention to that, which means we have to slow down just a bit to create some space in our mind to have like a workspace for ourselves. So just one little tidbit on that. When I start my work with people, it's always the analogy I use. I use this analogy of like, just that you're. We're starting our work, and what you're, what we're looking at right now is your desk, and your desk has. Um, and my desk is rectangular. And if your desk is completely covered in all of these papers, like I can't sit at my desk and work. It's like piled papers and books and things like that. So the first piece of the work is clearing out a corner, just to space. We need a workspace. And it's got to be cleared. And that is always what we do. We clear out the workspace. And for me, that's the metaphor of the mind is we clear out the workspace. Unless I'm working with someone who is OCD and their desk is always clear and there's it's like so clear. It's like so sanitarily clear because they're obsessive compulsive and they never leave anything there. So now we're working on, okay, let's live in the mess now. So it's a different analogy. Um, so, so yes, I do think that that's an important piece for people about being able to clear the space to be able to be, to have the ability to be aware of these things happening and then looking at the motivation behind the, um, the upper element, which is usually avoidance. It's kind of the big one avoidance. I mean, there's others, but avoidance is a big one. Absolutely. Absolutely. I know that from myself, I know that from my
0: clients and people you observe in the world, your partner, your peers, your family, friends, whoever, and it's such an interesting topic. I feel like we could, we could host a week long retreat and talk about that, and we still would have things to say left. So it's so amazing um, to just have this conversation with you. Would you, if you reflect on what we were talking about in the past minutes, is there something you say is really important to add when it comes to facilitating long lasting transformation for yourself and with your clients?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you know, um, one of my sort of little mantras, if you will, around that, although I don't repeat it, but it is something I say a lot, which is that we really have to work from the inside out. And regardless of the kind of client I'm working with or human person, and, and even the kind of therapy I practice, it's it's really with depth psychotherapy. So we're working from the inside out. It takes longer but when, when you start in there and you work your way up and out, you are creating a really strong foundation. Um, and you're actually like changing things structurally as opposed to just, and here's where sort of, you know, act as if, um, has its limitations. Now, if we think about act as if, and then we, we pair that with deeper inner work and deeper inner change, and those are happening simultaneously, then yes, we we do want to behaviorally become what we internally want to feel and see ourselves as, but we can't do the act as if without the inside piece. So, so I'm a big like work from the inside out as opposed to the outside in. Um, and so I think that that, I've just seen time and time again that people, when people are finished working with me, they like, they, they really do have a, you know, I call it a paradigm shift and, but they have a paradigm shift. They are, they are literally like taking off. You can't, you know, listeners can't see me, but they're taking off the set of eyeglasses that they came to me with. And they're putting on a new set of glasses. Literally everything looks different, feels different. We interpret through a whole new set of lenses, which to me is like, Like, look, if we're going to live on this planet and have to deal with all the existential realities, we might as well make it what we need it to be and want it to be, right? Rather than just living in all of the pain and suffering otherwise.
0: I love that. I love that. Maybe a short little question around the acting as if from from the inside out. Could you elaborate a little bit more on what exactly you mean with that and by that?
1: Yeah, so... When we go down the layers and when we start, so if we, so if we start at the top and work our way down again, and we start with, okay, so what do I want? Okay. So, so for me, I'll use myself as an example. So, so what I, what I want is a, um, is my business to work around my life. And when you are a full-time psychotherapist, that is not the way it works. Your life revolves around your business because your clients are really important. And when you have a lot of them, um, it takes up a lot of energy. And if, and as you know, when you're sort of really acting in full integrity with your profession, like that is, that is just the way it is. And so I, I accepted that and worked with it for, you know, over 20 years. Okay. So what part of my transition a few years ago was that, that, I really needed to, so my daughter's 13 now, and I really needed to, for myself, and really had a very deep desire to start to create a business that actually could work around my life. Okay, so so it started with a thought. Now, I couldn't just act as if, because first of all, I didn't even know what that was going to look like or what that was going to mean, until I started meeting people in the online space and going, oh, that's what it looks like. okay. Okay. So again, I can't, I had to go deeper. So then when I did, I went the next layer down and started thinking about, okay, so what does that look like? What does that mean? I started to really draw out some pictures. I, I sort of wrote down, you know, what, what all of that would look like, what that would mean. And I really started to like, imagine it in my mind and what that would be. Okay. So then, and again, that's still not enough, right? So that we still only the act as if it's still not enough. Then I went down another line. I was like, okay, so who do I actually need to be? in order to make that be my reality. And I needed to be and become someone different, which is really what I am sort of in the process of working on now over these last two years is becoming someone different, becoming someone who is not a hustler, becoming someone who is not, Like, uh, you know, you have to work hard to make money, becoming someone who does not have my identity attached to the work I do. So there was a lot of detachments that I had to make, which were frankly painful along the way. It was like none of this is easy. I'm, I'm sort of spouting it out, but it was it was all very and is like not the easiest work the biggest wasn't for me, it was, was really making a shift in who, how I see myself. So I have, I'm, I'm, as I go deeper into the layers of myself. So then the, who do I, how, who do I become in order to make this a reality? Then I have to face all of my limiting beliefs and my mental blocks around that. Um, all of the things that I used to think. And then every single upper limit that comes up along the way, every time I grow and expand. And so, so I really see it as the, then, then I remove the barriers to really fully embody and embrace the act as if, because now I'm not acting. Now I'm, I see that more as a process of becoming growing into. And so it's not something I'm trying on anymore. It's a, it's a someone I'm really growing into. And what's really interesting to me when I think about this is I, I always use analogies in the developmental psychology realm because it's what I know. So just because you have a child for the first time, you're like, you're not a, like you're not all of a sudden a mother you grow into that role. And so I have one daughter, she's 13. So yeah, I got the title when I when I like had her. So I got a title. It didn't mean though that I was instantly embodying that role. That is a growth process. Same when you get married, you get the title, you're a wife or a husband or a spouse, but that doesn't mean that you, Are that. So, you know, people start to act as if, right? You move in together, you do the things that you know to do that couples do or that mothers and fathers do. But then gradually over time, over years, you're growing into that, you're becoming that. And so that's really kind of how I see the act as if, which is why there, I don't see any hacks. Like there's no quick, there's no quick hacks to like making all of that happen because it's really a a developmental process within one's own psychology.
0: So beautiful. Oh my God. I think that was the most beautiful explanation for acting as if I've ever heard. And I heard a lot. So <laughs> thank you so much for yours, Carrie, for sharing yours. The last question on this podcast, as always, in interviews, is Carrie. <laughs> in your opinion, in your view, what makes a queen of hearts a queen of
1: hearts? Mm, wow. I mean, I I really feel like and, and this just speaks to where I am on my personal journey, is that when our mind, our sort of mentation of things is lining up with our body and our felt experience of things, is lining up with our spiritual self and how we want to be in this world, um, for me, I would say that that's really what makes a queen of hearts a queen of hearts. Thank you so, so much for that. I
0: so enjoyed this conversation with you. I so enjoyed listening to you. I will definitely re-listen this episode as soon as it's (laughs) online. I will send you the link and everything. And we will link everything to you in the show notes, your your socials, your website, whatever you want to have in that. Is there something else people definitely need to know about you, about something that's upcoming in your world or do you feel complete for today
1: yeah. i will say that in one moment i want to say to you that that thank you for this space and the time as as interesting as it was to you it was just as like soul filling for me having this dialogue and you giving me the space to talk about this some of these things they are a work in progress so i'm thinking of them as i'm speaking them and so it also helps me crystallize my thinking around them so i appreciate that actually it's, it's helpful for me you know um so thank you i appreciate that yasmin um so upcoming i do i actually have a um i haven't put it out yet it'll i don't know when this episode will air but i will be putting it out probably the uh the, f- the first week in march so like uh not next week the week after which is i don't know march the week of march 5th i'll be putting something out i haven't announced it yet but it will be some it'll be a a way to sort of start to work with me in one aspect of the work and it's a I'm um, I'm I'm doing a uh, a workshop I'm going to do a two-part workshop and um, and so I'm excited and then from there there'll be sort of some other opportunities for people to learn about how to like work with me on all of these things that we talked about today
0: perfect so thank you again so so much for today and I hear your listeners in the next episode thank you